Okay. Hello, everybody. Good to see everyone. Okay, Parsha Sisra. I apologize. I just forgot to write Parsha Sisra on the top of the sheet, but this is indeed the paper for Parsha Sisra. Okay, today's um, class, we will learn Le'ilu Nishmas, Joan and Diane's mother, whose yard site is tonight. Tonight. Fega Bluma Bas Shlomo. The Neshama Shah have an aliyah. And Lirifu Shalema for Shapsai Ben Miriam. And Chaim David Ben Rivka. Okay, so Parshish Yisroi, the Nesim Shalom is going to bring our attention to something that is fairly well known in terms of the beginning, the source that this is all based on. But where the Nesim Shalom, what the Nesim Shalom wants to understand is going to be insightful. And then I think where we as people need to go in order to make this really part of our life is also going to be very important. Okay, none of this is meant to be a study in theoretics. You now, for that, you could go to, uh, I don't know, philosophy class. <laughs> this, is, this is a real life class. Right? We, we, we want to be this. We want to live this. So we're going to try and bring it all the way home. Okay, so says the Nesiva Shalom that we should take a look at a well-known scene that happens in this parsha. In this parsha, the big event, if you will, of Parsha Yisrael is the Jews showing up at Sinai and receiving the Torah. They get the Ten Commandments and ultimately they get everything right there on Sinai. So listen to how the Pusik, listen to how this verse describes the Jews arriving at Sinai. Vayisu, this is the first thing you have on your paper. Vayisu Rafidim, and they traveled from Rafidim, they left Rafidim, Vayavayu, which is a location, Vayavayu, and they came Midbar Sinai, to this wilderness of Sinai. That's where Har Sinai is, the mountain of Sinai is. Vayachanu Bamidbar. Vayachanu, pay attention here to the detail, Vayachanu, they camped in the desert. Why they? Because we're talking about all the Jewish people, right? They can't. Vayichan Shom Yisrael Negedahor. And the Jews camp there opposite the mountain, right by the mountain, Mount Sinai. Vayichan. We lost that U at the end. That changed it to he camped. It said they camped in the wilderness. And then it said he camped. The Jews he camped by the mountain. It went singular. So, why? why? So, what does this mean? Are they saying God came? Or talking about the Jews. They're saying it was all one people. Right. Okay. So, watch what the Rashi, what Rashi tells us here. Right under that. Vayichan Shem Yisrael. This singular Vayichan encamping of what seems to be one person, even though we're talking about the plural, the Jews, Ki'ish echad belev echad. Like one person with one heart. Avoshar <coughs> kolachanios. However, every other time they camped, betarumos ubimachlekes. There was complaining and argument. So why does it switch to say it in the singular? Because unbelievably, you know, maybe this could be called the first miracle of the Sinai experience. You had all the Jews and they all agreed, Right? 
And everybody, but there really was, there was no conflict. There was not one. You have a lot of people there. There's about three million people there. No conflict, no fighting. Everybody camped by that mountain, ready to receive the Torah from Hashem, the Word of God, with, with one person with one heart. Now maybe some of us have heard that before. This description of the Jews by the mountain. But listen to what the Nesiv Shalom takes from it. And the truth is that if you look in a Chumash, what they call, I think they used to call this the Rabbi's Chumash. And the Christ does this with all the commentators. Right? On it, on the page. <coughs> I heard people reference, call that the Rabbi's Chumash. <laughs> he was the one who would look at that to find the answers. But the Chumash that you could find on the shelf, actually the Arachayim, which is <laughs> hundreds of years before the Nesiv Shalom, makes this exact same point right there on the spot. Listen to what the Nesiv Shalom says. This is the beginning of that second paragraph on your page. It says the Nesiv Shalom. Okay, this is very nice that they camped there and they were like one person. But if the Torah is telling you a piece of information, it's not a history book, so tell me why, why did this happen then? What's important about this in the storyline? It just happened to be that they were having a good day. And it happened to be that at that moment they were unified. And the Torah happens to want to share the good news for all time. You should know that once upon a time you didn't fight. It's good to know. Right? If you ever were thinking that it could happen again, you should know once upon a time. No, what, what, what's, how does it fit into the story? Listen to what the Nesiv Shalom says. The implication of the fact that the Torah spells it out here. That when they came to the, to the mountain to get the Torah, you should know they were one. It implies to us, it tells us, that this was the necessary preparatory condition for the Jews to be in this state in order to receive the Torah. It not just happens to be that when they came to get the Torah, they were one. The Torah is saying, you have to be one in order to get the Torah at this mountain. If you want what I'm going to give, the Word of God, at this mountain... You need to be liyos belevechad keshachad. You need to be one heart and one person. And says the Nesiv Shalom, you actually notice this plays out throughout. The Ten Commandments, we were just looking at it on Sunday, I was looking at it with somebody, it was the first thing he noticed, is that, what does it say? Anoichi Hashem Eloikecha. I am Hashem, your God. It's singular. It doesn't say Eloikechem, your God. I am Hashem Eloikecha. I am your God. It's talking to one person. So it says the Nesiv Shalom, Kibel Ade, it's the last line of that paragraph before the line. Kibel Ade Zois, listen to this line. Because without this quality of oneness, standing on that mountain with a, a unity of the Jewish people, Loi there could not be a receiving of the Torah. There could not be a receiving of the Torah. That's why Hashem speaks in the singular. Because that's necessary. That's a, that's a fundamental ingredient that has to be in the people I'm talking to. I'm going to say you're God and talk to one person because if you're not one in front of me, then I'm not having this conversation. Now that, that's very powerful. What that automatically begs a person to ask is, How did that happen? Well, that's a good question. That I'll never answer. <laughs> that's a good question. How do we get back to that? So I would like to talk a little bit about that how we get back to that. And I think that will also be included in a little bit maybe of how it happened. But the first question is, <clears throat> why? Why does that have to be? Why, why do we have to be? I mean, it's nice to be one. 
We all love oneness and unity. That, that nobody's arguing about. But the Nesiv Shalom is not just saying this is a wonderful, beautiful way to have a community. Everyone should be together and love each other. He's saying that they could not get the Torah without there being a oneness among the Jewish people. Now, did people know that ahead of time? I mean, when they were called to receive the Torah, did they know that if they didn't get along and if they didn't act as one people, they were not going to get the Torah? Or did they feel it? Did God say it? Or? That's a good question. Hashem certainly didn't say it openly. Uh, maybe if they had the sense of it, maybe Moshe was telling them, you know, guys, we got to put the stuff aside and come together. <clears throat> I don't know. It's a good question. Maybe they 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 felt as they were preparing spiritually, and they did put in a lot of preparation for this moment. It could be they felt that they just in their growth that they needed to let these things pass and and come together. But I don't know if they yeah yeah sure no I just I don't know if they knew that this was hinged on it. But like the Orachim says, when they camped there, Hashem said, "Oh, now you're ready to get the Torah." That's the way the Orachim says it. Oh, you're you're one now. You're ready. So I, I agree 100%. There's, that itself also indicates this state, almost like you're saying, there's a state of perfection when we have one. Is there something which, let's say you put it in light of the fact that the Mashiach, certainly receiving the Torah, definitely, I mean, these are big deals. We need the Torah, right? That's not something we could pass up on, right? In fact, Hashem said to the Jewish people right then, if you don't take the Torah, the world goes back to Sayhu Vavayu, to the nothingness that it started out as. Why? Because I created it for the people to use the Torah to connect. That's what gives the, the world its life. So if that doesn't exist, this world stops existing. And yet you're telling me that if we weren't unified, we couldn't get it. So there's something that's beyond just nice about our unity. There's something that is a necessity or some sort of substance to this, which is tremendous. That even something as necessary as getting the Torah would have been put on hold or impossible if we were not one. So that's really the question that Nassim Shalom wants to tackle is, okay, it's so, so nice, but, but how nice? I mean, that, that's more than nice. What's going on, really, with the idea of when the Jews find this sense of unity? Why is that so necessary? And the Nassim Shalom is going to bring us into a place that is a little bit deep, and we'll go with him to experience a little bit of a, of, of a deep vision here and understand from it what we can. And uh, then we'll bring this to, a, I think, a very practical place. But this is, this is something unbelievable. This is really something unbelievable. So what is our unity? <clears throat> this is not what makes our unity. That we'll talk about. But what is it when the Jewish people are unified? Listen to what he says. Under that first line. Like it says in the Zayar. The Zayar is written by the same people who authored the Mishnayis. These are our great Tanoim. And the Zayar has a tremendous amount of secrets of Judaism in it. And this is what it says in the Zayar. Hashem. 
Oiraisa, the Torah, the Yisrael, and the Jewish people. Those three things. Hashem, the Torah, and the Jews. Kulu Chad. They are all one. Meaning, they all share a certain attribute. There's something extremely intertwined about these three existences. <coughs> Hashem, the Torah, and the Jew. They are bonded and they are interlinked. They have a commonness to them. The Isa, and listen to what the Svarim, the big Rebbe's and the Maranaim is among them, say based on this concept that we are one. Listen to what they say. How many Jews do we say left Egypt or went to the, or were at Har Sinai? We always say a certain number, but then we'll, we'll, we'll say there's more numbers. But how many is it always given as the number? 600,000. 600,000. 600,000. Now we can figure out from there that that means three, probably like three million people because 600,000 were men between 20 and 60. Okay? But we, the number that the Torah gives to them is 600,000. Any significance to that? What's, what's with that? So listen to what the Svarim say. The Isa, the great Rebbe said, There are 600,000 letters in the Torah. V'chein, and so too, Yeshnam Shishem Rivoy Nishma Yisrael. There are 600,000 souls of the Jews. Now, even though you see many more of us than 600,000, but many of us are linked with a common soul. In our source, what we're, in our souls, I told you we're going to get deep here, okay? A little bit deep. <coughs> there are 600,000 souls of the Jewish people. Now, that could branch off into subdivisions, and therefore individual people, which equals more than a number of 600,000. But in our core, we are 600,000. 100,000 souls strong. Okay? Now that's pretty coincidental. It matches up to the exact number of letters in the Torah. Coincidence or not. Ukeshem, listen to what he says. Ukeshem Torah. It's no coincidence. It's no coincidence at all because we share a commonality with the Torah. Ukeshem Torah, just like in a Sefer Torah. If you have a scribe sit and he spends a year and he writes an entire Torah scroll from beginning to start. Ilu chasra ois achas. What happens if you're missing one letter, the smallest yud somewhere in that giant Torah scroll? It's 100% puzzle. You cannot use it. It's nothing. Bury it. It's nothing. The entire Torah is possible. It's invalid. It's the same among the Jews. There are 600,000 letters in the Torah and there are 600,000 parallel Jews. Nishamas of the Jews. Souls of the Jew. Like the way the Maranaim says it is, the Jewish people are a Torah scroll. And every one of us is a letter. And therefore also by the Jewish people. There are 600,000 of us. And ilu haya chaser echad mehem. If one person among the Jews is missing, they could not receive the Torah. Because the Jewish people then, themselves, would not be the complete Jewish people. Like a Torah that's missing one little letter or Yud is not. You're just not. You're beautiful. You have so many beautiful things in you. But can I say you have the holiness, the sanctity, the total completion of the Torah scroll that we're going to use in Shul and is as lofty as it is? No, you just don't because you're missing one. You're not complete. The Jewish people are also not 600,000 individual people. There are 600,000 people. There are 600,000 souls. Every single person is connected to one letter in the Torah. Every single Jew is part of that total scroll of the Torah, that total scroll of the Jewish people. If any one of us is missing, then there isn't the Jewish people. There are Jews, but there isn't the Jewish people, that entity, that total 
great sum of all of the pieces together, it's not when there's one of us missing. So says the Nesiv Shalom, they could not get the Torah if there was somebody missing. Okay, but that didn't answer our question. That's astonishing. And we're going to get back to that. <coughs> we're going to get back to that because I think that's a very, very important thing to recognize. The answer is there is not 600,000 actual letters, but every letter within the Torah is made up of letters. So if you know how to do the math of the letters in the Torah, divide it up into the letters that comprises them, then you get 600,000. But even if the, even if, I don't know that it really matters if there's 600,000 or 690,000. I think it could possibly just be a metaphor, even if it's, Meaning, even if the numbers were wrong, it would still be a very important message. Right. I happen to think that since this is coming from the, the Mikubalim, those in Okabola, I think that there is a deeper connection here, which is that, which the Moranayim really alludes to, which is the numbers do match up because there is an actual link between that Torah and that letter and that Jew's soul. They are actually linked. It's not just a parallel and therefore a message, but there is actually a link. There's one flow here of sanctity that's going on between the two, and that's why I do think the numbers actually do have the data, but I think you're right that even if they didn't, the message that's being said here is certainly 100% true without the numbers as well. But it happens to be that the numbers do because they are actually linked, like Bizarre said, there is a oneness here. So how do we go from 600,000 to the... 12 or 13 million of us today. How do you... So the answer is, and again, I'm telling you that I'm in over my head when I'm talking about this, so I don't know the details, <coughs> but the, what we, what you can have as a soul can be, you can have multiple people embodying partial expressions of that same common soul. I don't know exactly what that means, how that plays out. Maybe but lineage. Maybe you're saying it's all rooted in. But even at the time, there was more than 600,000 people there. So, but maybe you go further back. Yeah. So maybe even the husband and wives link, family. I think this is the way they express it. Again, it's a little bit beyond what I know in detail, is the idea that you can have souls and parts of the souls. The idea of souls is a little bit more complex than we sometimes play it out to be. Uh, we like to say soul we have a soul period leave it as that it's what makes me go the real truth is that we ourselves don't even have our entire soul inside of us part of our soul is still up there so whatever that means that you can have a soul that spans a tremendous distance and you could live with part of yours it's a little bit more of a complicated discussion but it's one of the reasons we say well there's a part of let's say each of us right now which is up in very high holy places and is experiencing very high holy things but because of the divide we don't necessarily feel it we will one day feel it all but we don't necessarily feel it but it's part of the reason why on Shabbos we celebrate because we know that our other part of our soul is up there celebrating with Hashem it's part of the reason why we celebrate is to connect to that there is this ability that not everything necessarily you you experience I mean, your soul is you not everything that you yourself are experiencing between the tremendous span of span of space you will that you exist in because you're really much more spiritual than you think so you can exist in a much greater plane than you think and not necessarily all of that will resonate with the you that's right here limited by the body that it is 
Like I said, I think we're in a little bit of a deep territory. But, uh, so you're talking about the Neshama Yaseira on Shabbos? No, no, that's the Neshama. That's just, yeah, your regular Neshama. You get a Neshama Yaseira, that's part of the soul, that's part of that same idea of a soul and experiencing more of your own soul. It is also an added soul. But it, like I said, I think that we sometimes shortchange the discussion of soul and make it very simplistic. But uh, that makes sense because I think this is a very complicated, I think it's a little complicated discussion. It needs a lot of detail and it needs to really be understood well so that we don't end up as weirdo flaky people who are uh, out there doing like some sort of rain dance in, in the middle of Yates. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, one thing Judaism is, is grounded. So all of the mysticism has to ultimately end up in a very grounded, healthy, correct place. Uh, and if it doesn't end up there, then something has gone a little bit wrong. So we just want to be cautious with that. But this is real. It's the truth. What we say, you know, we say this all the time, that uh, the truth is stranger than fiction because, you know, fiction is made up by people and the truth was made up by Hashem. And He's way cooler than people. It's the truth. He's way more capable. And the truth is far wilder than anything we could imagine. And the details of the truth are staggering. <clears throat> so we get little glimpses into it, though. Okay, so 600,000 of this, and so we're, if we were missing one person, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be the complete Jewish people, we couldn't get the Torah. And we'll come back to that, but the problem is that didn't really address the question. Because the question wasn't, why did everyone have to be at Sinai? The question was, why did everybody have to like each other at Sinai? So everyone's there. But why do we have to like each other? I don't know. It's a good question. We had a very good era with Shlomo HaMelech when Shlomo was king, but I don't know if we ever say we hit that point. I'm, I'm not sure if we would know if we did 100%. What? Purim, that's true. Purim, there was a certain uh, together, togetherness that we yeah. hit. We recreated a little bit the experience of receiving the Torah. And when we say the temple is missing now because of the sinas chinam, the baseless hatred, so we certainly, I think, would say we don't have it now. I don't think you need rabbis to tell you that. I think you could assess that for yourself. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty remarkable thing to say that the entire Jewish people should be like one. Isn't there another place in the Torah too where it uses the plural when everybody is gathered? Um, something in Israel, I don't remember the exact passage. I'm thinking that this is singular used. There is a Wait, that's plural. Maybe. Maybe. So I don't know. It could be we have hit it. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I, I wouldn't put it beyond the scope of imagination that we could maybe occasionally hit it. I don't know that every time you hit it, you get a Sinai experience. But the point is, you cannot have Sinai <clears throat> without it. So the question is, so here we are, we've all together, but why do we all have to like each other? And, and this is a very important question. Why do we all have to get along? What, 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 why is that more than just being nice? Now listen to what he says. And see, Shalom says something stunning. Okay? You see, the first one on the line there is Vinaysa. Did say here that we have to like each other, or just that we have to get along? You're saying is not fighting the same as liking. That's a that's a fair point. The as one person with one heart sounds a little bit more unified than just not antagonizing each other. 
to me, it strikes that tone, but Rashi does not use the word Ava, love, there. Ke'ishachad belevachad, though. One. I mean, one. Not sure. How do you, is there a oneness? What does respect in general mean? Yeah. Was relevant, right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Respect for that love. Mm-hmm. That was a fair. There's a fair, fair points. What does it mean to be one? So listen to what he says. The says the Shalom is good. Yes, you all have to be there because the Jewish people are not complete if we're missing one. But there's another element on top of that. We have to be one. Kimoy says, look, follow this through. We already said that what invalidates a Torah scroll invalidates the Jewish people to some extent. We lose something. So listen to what he says. Follow that through. I'll tell you another halacha, he says. Another law that's true by the Torah. He says, if you have a Torah scroll that has every letter in it, but there's too much space in between the letters of the words, you know what the status is? Haray Apostle invalidates the Torah. If it has all the letters, but there's too much space in between the letters, it's invalid. It says the Nisiv Shalom, Kamoykein Bikal Yisrael. It's the same as the Jews. Poisel Harichuk. Distance. You could be here, I'm here, we're all here, we have all the numbers. But if there's too much space in between two Jews, we lost something. We lost something. And if we have that space, then we cannot have the Sinai experience. We can't get the Torah. Why? Because you're not the Jewish people. You're not together. You haven't formed that unit, which is so unbelievable that you're meant to form. You haven't. But we're all here. But there's too much space in between you. The, the depiction is golden, just of itself. Too much space. Just too much space. There's not meant to be space. There's meant to be a closeness between the Jewish people. Without it, so the first answer, the real answer to this question before we start bringing it into the very practical realm of what should we do about it, is the Nesiva Shalom is saying something unbelievable. That the Jewish people are more than just a bunch of individuals. And the Jewish people don't just get along because we are nice people. But the Jewish people exist as the Jewish people with our maximum potential being filled. Being as sanctified and unbelievable and glorious as we are only when every single one of us is here and every single one of us is in close proximity to each other. That we are one. We have a oneness together. Then we come to life as the Jewish people that can unlock an experience like Sinai. Now you could get the Torah. The Torah, the world depends on the Torah. Yeah, but that Torah cannot come down to a people that are not the people, that are not whole. And then you're just individuals. You're invalid. You've lost the sanctity you need to get the Torah. How could you, an invalid Torah, get the Torah? You need to be yourself a valid people, a valid Torah, a glorious, holy people. And that's only with every person and every person together. That's an astonishing fact to know. I that w- never see that happening. Is there any kind of to turn back? I mean, the different sects in Judaism, the 
you know, just like with guns and violence and internet and, and the things that are going on in the world today, I don't ever see us turning back and so and being like that. It's it's like once somebody kills somebody, so I've heard, <laughs> but you know, then they just have full license to do it again because it's life isn't sacred to them anymore. So So I view this with with all of this that we ever talk about is like the Sudushal Shabbos says regarding fixing everything we've done wrong and uh, <coughs> preparing ourselves as good as we can, as well as we can, he says on Shabbos, he discusses this idea that sometimes a person realizes they, they can't extend themselves far enough to complete the job. He says, that, that's okay. The question is, how far can I get myself back to where I need to be? And then Hashem fills in the rest. And that's the Jewish people always what we're shooting for. If we're, we, we are shooting for perfection, you would say. But not because we feel that if we don't get perfection, then there's no point. No, because we feel that if we shoot for perfection as much as we can, then we will get there. Because Hashem will fill in whatever's missing. So the real question is, like what Victor Miller said, is to figure out, how do I walk out today and love one more person? How do, how do I connect with one Jewish person more? How do I view the Jewish people in totality? How do I view groups in a different light that can allow some of those barriers to fall and there be a oneness? Now, have I joined one with everybody or has everybody joined? No, but we're closer. And that means we're greater and we're further along. And I'll tell you one other point on that. Even though you're talking about um, one person, one heart, there has to be room for individuality. So in other words, it doesn't mean, I, I don't think, that we lose our individuality, but we have a, a, a singular purpose, maybe connecting with God, maybe you know, connecting individually mm-hmm. together, but it has Oh, uh, absolutely, absolutely. There has to be room for this Hasidic sect and this non-conformist mm-hmm. sect. There's got to be room for everyone under that umbrella of one nation. Exactly. I, I agree 100%. I agree 100%. I think that's really what we're going to talk about, which is how do we create that unity or that sense of the unity. In fact, I think you're right, that if you have the other attitude, you lose the unity. You know, my brother said, unity is not uniformity. Which is well said, I think. <laughs> right? Unity is not uniformity. So, exactly right. We have to figure out that attitude to allow us to get past the fact that it's not uniform and yet to have a unity. I want to talk about, but I just want to touch on that one more, one more second, which is the idea is if we can't have it all, is there a point? The Balatanya says, and this is unbelievable to recognize, that if two Jews sit together and are talking, if an angel tries to come in between them, in that airspace, in between two Jews, he goes up in flames. He cannot withstand the holiness of that airspace. That's what the Baal Tanya says. If two Jews are sitting together, so that, that, that's to recognize that any amount of bridging this gap between Jews and creating more of a oneness 
is to increase this unbelievable dynamic within the Jewish people. Whether we'll get all the way, whether we'll need Hashem to do the final push, but every time any Jews manage to bridge some gap and connect, and even you just sitting at home and developing a different attitude which makes you more one with the Jewish people, is a tremendous change into the holiness of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are not just nicer now, we're something else, we're something greater. Okay, let, let, that, that's I think a very important point. Let, let, let's talk here for a second, get, get very, very, very real. Okay, the problem is, we don't have oneness. Why don't we have oneness? What can we do about it? What are some of the thoughts we can have to try and bridge some of our struggles with oneness? So I think the first point is really what Abby was 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 getting at, and really something that Nisim Shalom mentioned, and there's a medrash here which is unbelievable, and that is, I think the first thing is, uh, first, we'll have a whole bunch of things here, we'll see what we get to. We need to appreciate every single one of us. We, If people are disposable, then... They have no reason to care for them. It's just that the distance becomes natural because of the fact that who are they? But what did the Nesib tell us? That if one Jew is missing, as how do you view a Jew? That's really the starting question. If you want to say, why is there, why do I have a, a, a separation between me and another Jew? Well, the starting question we need to ask ourselves is how do you view another Jew? Before we get complicated into people and beliefs and their situations, we'll get to that next. How do you view a Jew in this world? Oh, he's another guy. There's me and there's him. We're on parallel tracks. No. You're not on parallel tracks. You're on the same track. You need him. You need that guy. Did you ever call that guy and say, I need you desperately, right? Try and, try and have a distance with somebody that you need. You need them. They're essential to the Jewish people. Like he said, listen to this Medrash. The Medrash says here, Shimon Baruchai says, If the Jews would have been missing even one person that morning, Hashem would not have come to the mountain. So imagine, Moshe Straussberg, at Mount Sinai, and he's just exhausted. They've been prepping for three days, and he was up late the night before, and he's just exhausted. Come the morning of, he's just going to sleep in. He's just too tired. And it's okay, because he's sure that his friends will be able to recap for him the Ten Commandments, only ten of them, right? I'm sure between all his friends, they could give him a recap of what happened. So he hits the snooze button, and he goes to sleep. Everybody else, would have shown up at that mountain with Moses Strasberg sleeping in his tent. And Hashem would not have come. That's what a Jew is. Hashem is not coming without Moshe. Hashem is not coming without Sarah. He's not coming. The Jewish people are not without everyone. So the way a person has to view a Jewish person, the way we need to start to think about another Jew and to view another Jew is, these are unbelievable people that are so declared Yisrael's existence is dependent on that person's existence. You know, I was thinking like you go to, sometimes you go to Shul. You're there in the morning, down in there, 
in the in the in the minion. So you know, it's a pretty small minion. A lot of people have work. A lot of people have various reasons they don't come, and maybe some people just aren't coming. You're there, so you're the small minion. So so how do you how do you feel? So you feel like well, we are the people who came to the minion. Those guys, right? They didn't come to the minion, right? Distance, right? Push away. Now, I'm not talking about whether they're making right choices or wrong choices. My question is, what do you feel about that person? Did you ever feel, oh my goodness, I need those people to come. That's such a different sentiment, right? One is like, oh, those people, they didn't come. We came, they didn't come. The feeling is, yeah, we might have come, but we need those people to come. We need them to come. We have a minion, we have something here, but we don't have a fraction of what we could have. We are just a little piece of what we could be if another person walks in this door. That's a totally different picture of how you view another person. Who knows what will happen if that person joins? Because we're not on parallel tracks. We're one track. We're one unit together. And I think that's really what Abba was saying. We have one mission together. We're accomplishing one thing together. We're being the Jewish people and we're changing the world and we're connecting to Hashem and we're being sanctified and we're sanctifying the whole world and uplifting everything. That's one mission that we do together and we don't do it as well apart. And we cannot do it apart. Not in its completion. Star Rizal says and Steve Shalom quotes this all the time. Now, Rizal says, since the beginning of time till the end of time, no two people in existence have ever had the same mission. That's quite a statement, right? Since the beginning of time till the end of all time that will ever be, no two people were ever given the same mission by Hashem. We have one giant mission that we're all here for, to be part of. But no two individual people. You know what that means? That means that you could be unbelievable. The best in the world that ever was. And you still cannot do his mission. Moshe Rabbeinu, as great as he is, I don't think he could get the Torah without all the Jewish people there. No, he can't. Because what of everything else that the Jews need to do? Moshe is still only Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu needs Moshe Strausberg to get out of bed and come to the Harsinai where they ain't, ain't going to be Harsinai. Oh, unbelievable vision. Yeah. There was something I was listening to this morning. I've been listening from time to time on near-death experiences, not religious. They're, they're just, mm-hmm. And this guy said today that he discovered that we were we were all one and we were all of, of like one body and we were all like cells in a body and that you may be like a liver cell and somebody else may be a brain cell but not to think that they should all be like you like every cell should be a liver cell and that that the the brain cell and the liver cell and the uh, intestine cell or whatever that they were they're all important and you need them all but we're, we're of all one, one body. Which this is true. You should know. The, absolutely. What you're talking about. Absolutely. I don't judge. I mean, well, you should be like me. I'm a heart cell. Well, you need that liver cell and you need that brain cell and you need that. 
exactly. other self. You, you, and, and so, because sometimes I can be judgmental and think, you know, why aren't you studying the Torah? Why aren't you spending your time like, you know, like, like I? But that's what they need to do and they need to experience and, and, and what level and mission that they're mm-hmm. in. You know, and Absolutely. so, but we need all of that, so. Okay, that, that's perfect, because that, that's exactly the next thing that I want to get to, okay? So the first, the first thing is this recognition of, of, of the Jew and what we are in, to, in totality, much greater than we are, and we need each other to be everything that we can be, to accomplish everything we want to accomplish, and the feeling needs to be for another Jew that I need you. I need you. I can't push you away. I would never push you away because we are, you can call it, the Mekobon call it that the Jewish people form one body. We do form one body, one celestial body, whatever that may mean. Okay? That we are in, 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 in one complete, in the, the famous parable people give, you know, does your, does your, does your left hand ever hate your right hand, right? You know? Does that ever happen? Did you ever have that problem? Wake up in the morning like, oh, why can't they get along? You know, they just refuse everything. No, no two want to lift the box together. One always wants to leave when the other one comes. No, I won't lift with him. No, right? How can that ever happen? There's one body. It's just it's not possible within one body. So they give that parable to Jewish people. Now, obviously, we are independent thinkers, so we do suffer. But the problem is, in perspective, do we feel like one? You're one. You you can't be without each other. You need to be together. And, uh, you know, sometimes you, you can have that sentiment in a family where there is a sense of bond and therefore even a struggle is dealt with with an underlying sense of the bond that we, we, are, we are family. We are, we are together. That, that's not negotiable. We could discuss a strife that we have or an aggravation, but, but, but it's not negotiable. We, we are brother and sister. That's not negotiable. Okay? So there's a sense that we, we are one and we need each other and we create together something that's unbelievable that you can't create alone and you could be as great as great as great can be if you do not have the Jewish people you don't have much so the greatest of the great only get when Klai Yisrael get in fact there's a Chazal like that that Moshe Rabbeinu only got what he got because of the Jewish people it comes to everybody it's the Jewish people as a whole that are the greatest substance, the greatest unit that is. So another Jew should be viewed as, as, oh my goodness, please, you're, you're, you're so precious. I don't, I don't know. Honestly, I actually couldn't go on without you. So when all this happened and we were all together, it obviously didn't last long. I mean, what do you think? How do you think we got so far away? If we were all together at that one point, everything, everybody showed up. All the stars aligned. We got the Torah, and then the next day. I mean, do you, is there any indication of how long we were all together? I don't know. I mean, we know that uh, certainly the golden calf happened not long after, and I can't imagine that had a togetherness to it. Although you could sin with a unity. Yeah, you could sin, but there there was already. Uh, uh, yeah, the, you could sin with unity. We do find that at the Tower of Babylon, they sinned in unity, and that's why they didn't get destroyed. Actually. Because they had a sense of unity to them, um, which is an unbelievable concept. But the I don't know how long it lasted. The reason I would say uh, why it would drift away or how everything, all these things uh, really come from clarity. You know, we, we struggle and it's our life's mission here is to face off with this murkiness versus clarity and trying to wrestle our way through it. That's meant to be. 
miracle. And then maybe Hashem, I mean, he knew that we weren't going to all get along for this long. So the miracle happened. We all came together. We got the Torah. Then we, we weren't meant to all be in harmony. Well, I don't know that. It didn't say anywhere that the getting together was a miracle. It produced a miraculous reaction, which is getting the Torah was certainly a miracle. But it sounds like they truly came together. I would suggest more like, I don't know who was saying that before, that it's very possible that when you're getting ready with such intensity for the getting of the Torah, which you know is what it's all about, you really tap into that clarity of purpose and therefore the oneness of you as a people towards that purpose and participating in that purpose. So I think that they, it sounds like they rose to that level. They lost it like we tend to lose clarity throughout. I think we fight to regain it, though. It's not a lost cause. At least not partial. Well, among the Jews, we don't have it. The people who didn't want to leave Egypt, who, or I would say better, who did not believe that there would be a redemption, were, were lost in Egypt. There was a loss in Egypt. But uh, we don't have, I don't think, anybody among the Jewish people who didn't accept the Torah. That we don't find. It seems also that on a very small minor level, there are experiences that we have in communities where we all do pull together. It could be be a tragedy or it could be a wonderful thing. Yeah. Or not eleven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not yeah. No, absolutely. Jesus, I agree. I think, um, an and example we, of how we, we perhaps really could uh, do it yeah. on a bigger yeah. level, exactly. and that we have it. You know, whether it's mm-hmm. in every every community. Mm-hmm. I I. Be, and then, but, and then we go back to our culture and the struggles yeah. we have. Correct. And we get sidetracked. Right. And, you're and it's really, that's what those things are. Those jar us and, and take us out of those, you know, petty perspectives that we have. And they give us a certain clarity and they tend to fade. And I think as individuals, though, you now we have the choice how much we're going to take a stance against that and fight for that. Uh, there are people... I think we said that here, right? The Reverend Ari Levine got up and on that last speech that they gave him that he was able to speak to all those, I don't know if they were the prisoners, I think it was, whatever, and he said, just tell your children that there was an old man in Jerusalem who loved you all so much. Right? There was a man, he was a human being. He was like, he was like us, a great person. And uh, we have a, we have an ability to create as individuals like like the famous Surveillant Melech Malijan said, in the beginning he wanted to change the world, then he said, I'll change my community, then I'll change my family, and then he realized, I'm going to change myself. But the recognition that changing ourselves has a ripple effect and is ultimately how we change everything. Okay, so I really think that we do have a choice to, again, take steps in this direction to, to create. And a person needs to recognize that when they sit at home and have a different sense of their own feelings towards the Jewish people, that's not just an experience that affects them, it actually affects the entire Jewish people. The entire Jewish people is now a little bit more unified because of that. And that changes all of us. And it has a big impact throughout. Now, I want to touch on a few. I I knew that we were never going to get to everything that I knew. (laughs) My experience... 
Yeah, it's very funny. My wife said, why don't you do it in two weeks? I said, oh, we'll be on to a different power show. We'll move on. Okay, but the, the other thing I, re- I really want to talk about is within this, again, trying to, to really recreate our vision of another Jew. So there's another factor, I think, that really hurts sometimes our vision of another Jew. And that is seeing Jews make choices that we don't think are good. We see a Jew doing things that we wouldn't do or we don't think they should do. So that makes us have a very hard time valuing that person because of the things they're doing. Okay? So I, I, these are, I'm going to share with you some of my thoughts, some other thoughts, but uh, a few, a few points here to make. Okay. The first thing is, I, I think that we're just not honest in our assessments of humans. It's just, it's, it's, it's almost, hypocritical the way we do this, right? We look at that person, we see them make some bad choices and we say, they're terrible. They probably hate God and they hate everything good and they're evildoers. I mean, we just, it just gets defined as this like very, very linear description. We take a person who's like a universe to himself and we make him into this like one little blurb. Good or bad. Boom. Put him in one drawer or the other. Never do that. Right? Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. And then, and this view, how do you view yourself? So the first thing is understanding people. You think that guy's so crazy? Let me tell you something. People aren't crazy. You know what people are, though? People. It's very common for people to be very, very people-like. Similar to the way you are. Very much like a person. So just think about, what about all the mistakes you make? How do you view them? So people, yeah, I make mistakes. But but I'm a good guy. What about your mistakes? Well, it's true. I want to do good. I got persuaded. I got pressured. I got this. I was just too lazy. I couldn't see it through. I this. Okay. And then that guy, he's evil. Well, what happened? Because I because I, oh, I would never do what he did, right? Because I would never go that far. Yeah, but let me tell you something. It's the same undercurrent. It's the same undercurrent. Don't think he's so different than you. When you point at one finger, you got four fingers. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. Right? It's the same meaning. The same way a human being ticks. And the same way you tick, and you're able to make mistakes, but you, you doesn't define you necessarily in your totality. That person's making mistakes based on the same types of mess-ups and persuasions. Yeah, it could be he's more greedy than you, so he's more persuaded. Happens to be you were born less greedy, right? Happens to be the home you were brought in. It could even be your choices. I'm not saying that nobody gets credit for their choices. It could be your choices. But his series of choices would have led him to this situation, but even those choices along the way, they're all part of the same series of influences that we're all grappling with. He's not some sort of monster. He's just a person. And a recognition of those mistakes as being much more similar to your own. And something that, therefore, you should judge very similar to the way we judge our own. Which is, it's a part of who we are. And in some ways, our mistakes are the smallest part of who we are. Even though they dominate sometimes most of our activities. But sometimes they're the smallest part of who we really are in our, in, in our actuality. Those are actions, those are things. But most of the time, a lot of times, we have a very strong desire to be different. And if we don't, sometimes because we're very confused. A recognition that we should judge the, the, the starting points when you see somebody making those. Recognize they're not the sort of monster. You don't have to whitewash them and give them some label. View them as a person, a universe of experience, just like you are. And within that, they may wish they could be much better or be so lost that they don't know what better is. Before you just decide that, oh, they're probably satanic worshippers, and uh, that's what it is, oh well, you know. No, they're probably actually pretty regular people. 
You know, the Rosh Hashiva, Rav Hanach Leibowitz, Rosh Hashiva of, of Chavetz Chaim, he once went to go start a, a school, help start a school in some far-flung out-of-town community. So when he said, came up there, he said, yeah, he, he was born in Europe, and he said, they said, Rabbi, what do you know about a boy from this part of the world, right? So he said, I don't know any boys from this part of the world. He said, but what I do know very, very well is the human being. And the human being is the same in Queens and Brooklyn and in Missouri. It's the same person. Yeah, different factors play in, but it's the same person. It's people. Now, once we recognize and we're able to, 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 to not let the wrongs blind us to defining the person into one definition of something bad, now what really opens up is, is a tremendous perspective, which is bad does not negate good. Bad does not negate good. Bad doesn't even negate great. There is greatness within something that could be a whole series of bad choices. A person can make a thousand bad choices. And in fact, a thousand bad choices, which makes it therefore really, really hard for him to make a good choice now. And then he shows up and he makes a good choice now. Those thousand bad choices do not negate that one good choice. In fact, that good choice is far greater, sometimes greater than any choice you could make because you don't have that struggle. And they're doing it. So when you view another Jew and you're seeing this other Jew and we're viewing this as a total picture and everyone's helping and we're all coming and you say, that guy's not helping, right? That guy's not helping. He's ruining. It's not so simple. Not as simple as you think. You don't know what part of his circumstance Hashem created or even his choices created, but you don't know what he's doing, the greatness that's happening right now in his actions. Okay? What, what a person could do amidst a struggle is sometimes far greater than somebody who's, who's not having that struggle. Of course, we all have our own struggles. But the point is not to think that bad, a guy says, oh, he came through. You say, good, but he came through. Why did he have to make those first five bad choices? That's not in the equation. The question, that's true, Hashem will take up with him each of those decisions. But if you want to know if he's accomplishing something great right now, let me tell you what a certain Rebbe, there was a certain Rebbe who delayed a very long time once coming out to the Tish. The Tish was when everyone was gathered, they would share a meal, it was an uplifting experience, and they were waiting and waiting for him to come out. He didn't come out. So, finally, after waiting, 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 he came out. So his close, Hasidim, close to them said, Rebbe, what happened? What was the delay? So he said, well, I have a practice. I don't come out to run the meal until I feel that everybody in the room is greater than me in some aspect. I need to feel that every single person in the room is greater than me in some way. Or I, I don't start. He said, today... I looked out and I saw a certain fellow who is really low. He's really low. He's really low. He's just really not good. And I could not think, how is this guy greater than me? How am I not greater than this Jew? I couldn't come out. Until it dawned on me. If I was as low as that Jew, I would not come to Tish. If I was as low as him, I wouldn't be where he is showing up to be with all these Jews on a Friday night. To spend Friday night together with all the Jews and the Rebbe to have an uplifting experience. If I was making the choices he was making in his life, I would never show up here Friday night. He's greater than me. He's greater than me. Understand that vision. That's an unbelievable point.
This guy's making so many bad choices. Yeah, but what does that mean about his right choice? What does that mean about his right choice? How valuable might that be to Hashem? I'm not sure that I would stand up to that. I don't know if I would show up. If I, I feel that way so many times. You look around, you see people lost. Yeah, but, but he showed up. He still came to davening. He still keeps this. He still struggles with this. He says, would I struggle? Would I struggle? You know? If I didn't feel that my family or my community would look down, if I was like this person who's totally free to do what he wants, in fact, he comes from a family that they, they would rather he not, you know, you just, you have the whole picture there, and now he's struggling to hold on, and I don't know if I was in that con- position, would I, would I still keep going? But he's still, still fighting, he's still showing up. Person has to recognize this. It's true about ourselves, by the way. You have to recognize it about ourselves. That our own wrong doesn't negate the greatness that we are afterwards. Like Rav Nachman said, a person is not allowed to do a sin. You can't go do a sin. But a person should know that after they do a sin, the opportunity to declare Hashem's name from behind enemy lines is an unbelievable opportunity. Unbelievable opportunity. Like we saw in the Nisi Shalom by Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur time, the further a person is behind enemy lines, the greater the declaration is that Hashem is king. So a person has to look around to recognize the greatness that exists. So you look at a, at a, at a Jew and you say, but he's making choices that I wouldn't make. Firstly, you're not so different than him. That's your first starting point. You're not so different at all. You're exactly the same in your framework. You've got your struggles. He's got his. He's a human being like you. He's nothing crazier than that. And in his environment and in his setting that Hashem has constructed for him, or maybe he has even dug for himself to some extent, who knows what he is doing? Who knows how he shakes the world when he shows up? You show up because of course you show up. He shows up because he fought a thousand demons to show up. Who knows? Who knows what that is? All right. We can't do it all and we're going to end. But I want to end by just saying the final point, uh, one point that I want to mention from the Chidush Arim. The Chidush Arim says, Hashem gave a very interesting command before he started the Sinai revelation, and that was called the mitzvah of Hagbolo, which means boundaries. He demanded that the Jewish people stand and not come on the mountain. Every person stand in your correct position and make sure not to cross over where you don't belong, where you could die. A person could die. Chedush Shariam says, what was that? What was that that was so necessary before the getting of the Torah? What was Hashem really saying to us? He said, a person needs to know their place. Every person needs to know their place. That's all he says. It's just a very small cryptic line. I think it's unbelievable as part of this. Competition. The idea that he's doing more than me and that doesn't sit well with me. I'm not comfortable with him and I'm not comfortable with him. I think a lot of times what it really comes down to is I'm not comfortable with me. I don't recognize my place, my role, and therefore I can't recognize anybody else's. 
Because it's all too uncomfortable. Says the Chidush Arim, you need to have before you can get the Torah. And now of course it fits within. What she's saying is you need to have oneness. The Chidush Arim says, you need to have a recognition of my place in the total picture. I am comfortable with where I am and I celebrate my role in the total giant picture of the Jewish people and what we can accomplish. And I don't know where my role is. And every person has to look at where they fall in their accomplishments. And it may not be what they fantasize about, but who cares? Because it's much greater than what you fantasize about is what Hashem has fantasized for you. What is that role? And when we celebrate our role somewhere in that position, and we really, really feel like we're doing something amazing in the total picture, then you know what we're okay with? We're okay with him doing his role. And his role may be struggling in a darker place. That we're sometimes easier to accept. You know the one we really can't accept so much? That guy who's acting holier than us. No, that really, that's very hard for us. It's very, very hard for us. We tend to need to write them off because it's just too uncomfortable. Really what that means is we're not comfortable with our role. We need to really, really figure out our place. Get comfortable. And then we can really look at him and say, you know what? Not only am I I'm thrilled that he's doing it. I'm thrilled. That's amazing because as the total Jewish people, I'm not doing that. And I don't know that I should be doing that. But I think it's amazing that he's doing it. Isn't that an amazing different position? I want to say I was at, I want to end with this, this story. I wouldn't mean to say this story, but it's worth saying. I was at a Sheva Brochus of a good friend of mine who is a great person and he was always an unbelievable do-gooder, learned a lot always. And, you know, and he had an older brother and his older brother was, let's just say, had a more adventurous experience throughout his life growing up. And at his Ufruf, that's what it was, right before he got married, that Shabbos before, his older brother, has made such a mark on me. His older brother got up and said to his younger brother, thank you for doing all the good that you do because I know that I myself fall short. So thank you for bringing all that goodness for all of us. I blew my mind. It's an older brother. What type of older brother would not be totally challenged by our younger brother who's making all those choices that you sort of know maybe you should have. But he had such a, such a recognition. Yeah, I know that I may have not done certain things or maybe I couldn't do certain things. I want to thank you for bringing into this equation the things that I didn't. And I'm appreciative of what you're bringing for all of us. That's the way we need to view, I think, all of each other. We need each other and thank God that we all have each other so that we can all bring into this equation, into the total unit of our great family, all of the ingredients that no one of us could really bring and together and may we merit to have that total bond so that together we could be the great Jewish people that Hashem wants us to be.